Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall on Coming Up for Air. And today we have um, our co host, Dominique Simon Levine. Hi, Dominique. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. Good to be here, Lori. And Kayla Solomon. How are you, Kayla? Good. Good morning. Or whatever it is. <laughs> so today we are actually going to continue with a topic um, that we covered last week, but we didn't quite get to some of the answers that we wanted to get to. We kind of got off topic um, and went in a different direction. And so we decided today, nope, Dominic is saying no. No, we went deep. Oh, we, we, we went took deep. That, we took that topic and we we went down and down and down and down and, and got to a place where we're wondering about a fundamental cultural biological bias <laughs> that moms have. Yep. And, yep. and it was so interesting to hear you say that. I've never heard that before from a mom and and how it might go against what if what 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 theory suggests or how difficult it is to rid yourself of some of this extremely core mom child connection mm -hmm. I, I have seen it in the years I've worked with craft and there's something really special and hard to articulate actually and you yes. did that at the end Lori well thank you Thank you, thank you. But today we're going to move and try and answer that question um, that we were talking about in the last podcast, which is how do we stay connected with a loved one that is um, at a distance, not only at a distance physically, but at a, at a distance in that um, the ability to communicate with them is very limited, if at all. So you maybe um, maybe can't do phone calls or won't do phone calls, but you're limited um, by maybe texting or emailing, um, but also you don't have that physical closeness or you're not close enough that you could just, um, you know, drive an hour or two to go and see them. Um, so what are your thoughts? Kayla, do you have any thoughts on this? I, do. I have some thoughts, but I, I'll, I'm going to wait to share them. My thought is that you keep it simple and that a, a lot of parents or loved ones have this kind of compulsive desire to find out what's going on. And it's not a good idea because the person will often will feel defensive and reactive and then they accuse you of things. So I believe in keeping it light and just say, say you know, send emojis you could send like little memes of I love you or I'm thinking of you. It's like you're basically what you're doing is you're making offerings of connection. And that's all it is, is that you're I see it as like um, a weave and you're holding out a thread. And then 
it would be lovely if the thread comes back. And then if you keep thinking about the weaving is that the, then you send the thread out back, but it's not this kind of desperate, are you okay? Right. Oh my God. Cause that basically what you're doing when you're sending those messages is I don't trust you. Um, I'm panicked and nobody wants to engage with an anxious person. So you need to take that that reactivity that you're having and put it elsewhere and get support and talk to other people, but not send that message out to your loved one. Right, right. I totally agree. And and you said you said something um, actually in the last podcast, Kayla, that rang true for me um, in what I see. That you talked about how if you're if you want to stay connected with someone. It's almost like the more you are, you know, kind of pleading and reaching out and trying to get them to talk to you and trying to get them to communicate with you, the more you're kind of pushing them away, right? And one of the best ways to get somebody to, to kind of reach out to you is to kind of pull away a little bit on your part to kind of bring them to the table. Also. There's, there's a few other things I think, um, Kayla, we totally agree. Keep it short, really, really short. But also 95% of the time when we're talking with our loved one or communicating with our loved one with substance use disorder, especially if they're active or even if they're not actively using, but they're still engaging in a lot of that negative behavior and haven't found their way to um, uh, uh, to improving on their situation, our discussion as family members is to talk about their problems. And that's all we talk to them about. How are you, when you ask the question, um, how are you today? How are you doing? There's so much meaning behind that right? It isn't, hey, how are you today, right? Like, you're not really looking for an answer, you know, you're looking for them to say something like, oh, I'm doing great, you know, what are you up to? It's not that kind of a, a, a call. And that's the perception of the loved one, the person with substance use disorder, right? I get a phone call from mom or dad, and I hear the words, how are you today? What my parents want for an answer is, well, I went to see my counselor and I went to my group sessions and right, and I'm making an appointment to go to the recovery center. That's what they're looking for, right? Or that's, there, there's something behind it. And you said this before, Kayla, in other podcasts, drop the agenda, drop right. the agenda. Well, and the story. Yeah, that's it. Just drop it. The, the other thing, the other thing that's essential here is that I hear this all the time of the brilliant solutions that people have. You could go to, th you, did you, you should go to therapy. You should check your meds. You should see if you could get housing. Why don't you go talk to a social worker, blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. It's like brilliant ideas, but useless. And we talked right. about this in the group last week about what happens when you're giving advice which is really what you're doing. It's like, you should do this, or this would be a great idea, or ha even the more subtle versions of, have you thought about blah, 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 which people think that's the 
modified version of advice. It's still <laughs> advice. It's just like advice in sheep's clothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is that I don't know about you guys, but nobody that I know takes advice or right. takes it well. Right. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. If my partner comes to me and says, oh, well, you should put the 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 pellets in the pellet stove in this way, I immediately get defensive. Right. So it's like if I'm getting defensive about putting pellets in the pellet stove, okay, right. then I can, can imagine you're talking to somebody who's like living on the street or living on the edge and you're telling them, why don't you call a social worker? Why don't you call a clinician? <laughs> oh, by the way, don't worry about it. I have a list of names. You could just ask me and I, I'll give you the list. Right. People don't do what you tell them to do. Right. So to me, it's like that should take the pressure off. Just take it off. That's a lousy technique. It I have never, ever, 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 ever seen it work. Right. Ever. We we do this. We talk about um, uh, module four. And actually, this is the first video in module four of negative talk. And we talk about getting rid of negative talk. And basically what no negative talk is, is stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking and telling the person what's wrong with them, how they can fix it, what they, right? It's just, it's stop, stop doing that because, um, uh, because just, just what you're saying, one, it's not working. We have proof that it's, it's not working. They wouldn't be where they are if it was working well, right? Um, but also, what it says to the other person is you're only interested in solving my problems you really kind of aren't interested in having a nice conversation and hearing what i have to say right and you also think i'm really dumb and can't take care of myself or i don't realize these things right i don't you know i don't realize that i have a drug problem did you dominique did you want to say something I do. Um, and it's about the word do. And if if you're starting a sentence and if I'm hearing the sentence that starts with the word do and I don't feel well, I, I turn the rest of it off. I cannot do anything. And the worse I feel, the less I can do. So if I hear it, it just makes me feel worse. I had a, I had this experience a couple months back that you know of, Lori, where I couldn't get my medication for a couple of weeks. And I went into immediate withdrawals from 13 years of this antidepressant. And, and um, people just kept yapping at me to do this, do that, call this, you know? And it was like, I was, I was sinking, I'm sinking. So I'm just saying that not everybody, but people with addiction, are in some version of, 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 of that despair a lot right. of the time and they can't do. And so with craft, we always suggest that the family do the research for the treatment and if and get very, very specific about wait lists, costs, how it's going to be paid for, how you're going to get there, who's going to take care of your dog, who's going to pay the rent, who's, you know, all of that. And then in a text and this is it, this is uh, an a exception to what you are saying, both of you. When you're ready, I have figured out a few places you can live. 
and hopefully you have a few transitional inpatient places this person can come off the street and go to when you're ready. Your name's at the door. You just have to call so-and-so at this time, and which wouldn't be in the text, but when you're ready, I have a list. And when she says two months later, okay, I'm, I'm, I need to get off the street, you pull up the list and in that same brief text, here's the woman, here's the number, here's the address, she's waiting for your call, boom. If you can do that, you have intervened with nothing more than a few texts and some background work. And the rest of the time you spend completely doing what the two of you are suggesting both to do and not to do, which is to avoid the topic of problems and trouble and treatment and you should get help and you need help and how can we get you help? And you know, you should, you should, you should. And, 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 and just leave it and just focus on that connection, that very brief moment you have to connect. Yeah, so here's, I, a, here's a thought yeah, because I wanted to ask you both. Wait, 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 wait. I wanted to ask you both a second part to the question because I can see we're about halfway through already, which is what happens when your loved one at the end of an email or the text is just belligerent, is just an idiot, is just asking only for money, threatening to relapse if they don't get money, or, you know, just. There is no connection. It is so far apart between you. Is there is there is there a way to begin to that bridge back? So in, in this distance. So so I I do think I think actually um, the initiation of connection with the person should be really short and specific and brief and have actually nothing to do with. Um, what's going on in their life to pull them back in. So short, sweet text messages like, hey, I was thinking about, I, you know, I was thinking about you, you know, give me a call when you have a chance. Just really, really brief and, um, and then wait at least seven days before you send the next one. Kind of like letting them know, oh, I am being respectful of that boundary and that you need space. And you, and you just kind of keep it that way. And then when they do finally make contact, the, the conversation, keeping it light, right? Only talking about, you know, oh yeah, uh, talk about yourself you know what, we're doing this and dad and I are going out to lunch today and we're gonna go golfing. So I can't stay on the phone for too long. I have to get off. It, it'll blow their mind that you're not focused on, on their stuff and that you're actually gonna go out and go do something for yourself. Um, and then when, then the questions come right because typically they're calling because you now are making that connection with them and they know maybe i can get some money or maybe i can get a hotel room or maybe i can get right so now they're there for the ask there's going to be an ask and i often will you know in working with families i tell them to be prepared for that ask Right. And you guys sit down and figure out what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do, what you're willing to offer up. Right. And I often say I make these decisions based on is this going to promote 
a, a better life, right? Or is this going to just encourage more use? So, um, and and I base my what I'm willing to offer on that. And then I wait until they're actually asking me for something. And then I might say something to the effect of, well, you know, the what I can offer is, you know, if you go into treatment for, or, you know, if you call this counselor up or a counselor up and you do this, I would be more than willing to support that, you know you want me to buy you a hotel room or pay for a hotel room for the next week? Well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, that's not going to work for me right now. But you, you give me a call back when, you know, if you go think about what I've offered, right? go and you think about it and give me a call back. But dad and I are headed out to lunch right now. And we'll talk later about it. Or and the the other thing that happens is then they start pressuring when they're not getting what they want and they're getting it immediately, right? They're not getting that yes right away. Then it becomes, God, you're, you know, you couldn't possibly love me. How could you, what kind of a mother doesn't do this for their kid, or, right? You know, I hate you. You must hate me. You're such a horrible mother. And oh my God, you know, I mean, and worse than that, we all know the language that comes out and all of that. Oh, geez. Yeah, I know. That's, I, you know what? Shoot, someone's at the door. I got to get going. And that it, it's an ending to the conversation. You can I often will say you can, you, if you want to hang in there for a while, you could do reflective listening and you can start to agree, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I, you know, maybe, so you think I'm a horrible mom and you're, you know, I, I understand, or uh, not I understand, as Kayla, Kayla has taught us, it makes sense to me that you might be frustrated because, um, because I'm not, um, uh, going to give you the money for the hotel room right now, but I need a little bit of space. Um, or something else I, I learned from Kayla was, um, well, I feel like you're telling me something that where I'm going to have to make a decision or create a boundary um, at the end of this. So I really need all of the information. But my, um, but I often tell families end that conversation as quickly as you can once it's getting out of control to let the person know one, I'm not going to go there and be the whipping post, right? I have offered something up. I'm more than willing to support and to help. Um, and this is what I can do. And you take it or leave it. I'm not going to, you know, th this is it. You take it or leave it. And anything and everything to end the conversation. Oh my God, someone's knocking at the door and then your father and I, I got to get going, but you know what? Give me a call back in a couple of days and, you know, let me know your thoughts if you're, if you're willing to, you know, do what we requested, but I got to go. Bye. Bye. Oh shoot. Bye. Call me later, you know, and hang up that phone as quick as you can. Um, and those are, and, those and, are kind of like strategies that I, those are excellent strategies and really useful. Um, being brief is really difficult when you've got so little contact. So it's really hard to stay neutral and calm and light, you know, and brief in, in, in very and short end, contacts. Right. And, and ending and move the and move the and ending it. And ending and it moving because... it towards some unblocking, if you can, as you say, you know, right. I'm willing to do this. 
I have a list when you're ready, but um, otherwise just it, focusing. Right, and ending it is, is a bit of a problem. Like um, people wanna stay on the phone they want to stay in this communication because they're ha they have limited communication with their loved one right and the the need to get that person that help that immediate help that you think that they need um, is a huge driving force to stay on the conversation and continue to be that whipping post is what i call it um, but once you you do this like two or three times where you end the conversation and and not let yourself just kind of, it's putting up a boundary it's basically saying hey i don't mind having a conversation with you but i'm not going to be treated this way in the conversation i need space from it um you do it three times and i i saw re, uh reduction in um with my loved one that he knew i wasn't going to engage in that kind of a conversation with him and it was to his benefit to to stop that behavior if he wanted if he wanted to have the conversation with me but also the idea that they won't come back to the conversation later on that they'll get so mad at you that you're not giving them what they want my dog i everybody all listeners i need you to know my dog is in the background playing with his toy <laughs> um so but but this worry that oh i can't hang up the phone they might not call me back they might not stay connected what i what i have found is just what kayla said is that if you end the conversation and you and you kind of cut it short and let that person know that that's just not the kind of conversation you're going to have that they do come back. They might stay angry for a couple of days, but they come back because you do have some, you do have something that they want. One, they do want connection with you and they also want a hotel room or they want money or they want, you know, um, but they do come back um, is what I have found. And you're now controlling and you're now controlling the timeline, which right. is going to make you feel a whole lot better. If seven days, if you cannot take seven days, do it in three days. Just do it as long as you can, because in my experience, it's the families that pick up that phone and keep and right. keep trying and 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 less can be better. And it that is a strategy in itself. Right. Kayla, have you some thoughts on this? Just that I, I always have to go to what's the psychological impact? which is um, if so, because blaming is a huge um, dynamic in this process where where if, if you're the substance per, the person that's using substances, there's this pattern of blaming of looking outside of yourself. That's what using substances is. You're looking outside of yourself for answers, but also you're the blaming is about looking outside of yourself for reasons why you feel this way. And so often it's like, you didn't do this when I was a kid and I'm like this because mm -hmm. of you and it's your fault. And that, you know, it goes back to the first part of this topic is if if you if you're biologically programmed to feel like you're responsible for this person and they're sending blame to you, it's like a, a, an arrow through your heart. And if you're responding from that wound, which is, oh, my God, it's my fault, then you are useless. Absolutely right. useless because 
that's again, it's a power dynamic because if I did this to you and I'm responsible for you being here, then I'm also responsible for your healing and for your recovery. And that goes back to if I'm all that, then you don't have any say in this. And I just want you to know that there's a lot of people that have trauma that actually don't pick up substances. They do other things. And so, right. so everybody's got a choice. And so I prefer to see it as if you're going to be sending nasty stuff to me and blaming me, then if I take it on, I'm taking away your power. And, and so I, that's a terrible <clears throat> dynamic. No, and I, I agree with you, Ka uh, Kayla, on this. I think that um, parallel things are happening here, right? Parallel things are happening here. Mom, dad, or the, you know, the person that loves the loved one with substance use disorder goes in and swoops and, 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 um, and takes care of things and, um, you know, is the source of money um, and also is sending the message to the person with substance use disorder that they are incapable of taking care of themselves and that and that really you're crippling that person. You're making them dependent on you. At the same time, the loved one is in reverse doing the loved one with substance use disorder is doing the same thing to the parent is saying, I can't see it's your fault. I can't do it because you did this. I need you to be my, um, my savior. I need you to save me. And so, right. So it's, it's like this pattern and everybody is kind of found their role. Everybody's in, I know it's awful and it can be very difficult to deal with, but it's also comfortable in the same sense, because this is what we do. This is the role I have. This is the role you have. Let's not change the pattern. Um, and human beings don't like change, but that's what we're talking about is actually let's change the pattern. Let's stop the pattern. And the only person who, who really can stop that pattern is the person that um, is the, the support system around the loved one with substance use disorder. And the reason why is because the person with substance use disorder um, gets what they, what they think they want, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Say more about that. I don't really understand that last piece. What I'm saying is, is that um, in order to, uh, to continue to stay comfortable, the person with substance use disorder, in order to stay comfortable in what they're doing, which is using substances, engaging in behaviors that are, um, that are damaging, but makes them uh, feel like uh, they're doing okay, or makes them feel like they're in control. <clears throat> How do I say this? They are there, there's no um, reason to change that pattern if every time they call mom or dad or a loved one or a friend and they get what they want, uh, if, there's no, if there's no reason to stop doing that, right? There's no reason because they get to stay comfortable. They get to stay comfortable in what they have. So, so I think no that's a bigger point. The bigger point is that everybody in this dynamic needs to start being uncomfortable. Agreed. That's the point that I, and I think that's the whole point of craft is that 
what has been comfortable is not working for the for the loved one it hasn't been working for the person who's using the substances it's comfortable but it's not working and those right. are two very 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 different things because you could be comfortable doing the same thing except when you, the person's not doing well you freak out that's uncomfortable but but you still keep doing the same thing cuz that's your role and so so what happens is that all change is about stepping out of your comfort zone. Exactly. And so what what you're saying Lori is that if the loved one could step out of what they've been doing and be uncomfortable then it changes everything. And so what ha- what what when you were talking about somebody being belligerent it's comfortable in a horrifying kind of way to sit there and listen to it and take it. But right. it also makes you into a victim and one day we'll have a podcast about exactly. my theory. Yes. Okay. Because that's its whole other topic. But if you are, a victim, which I agree. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a victim, then you're a punching bag. If you're a punching bag, you are vulnerable and people are going to keep coming for you. Right. So, and, but also good. I also, I think that I, and I think we have to dig in deep too about the, about what it means to be comfortable because comfortable could be and like you could be absolutely totally miserable right so i know listeners out there are going to be like what does he mean by comfortable right i'm not comfortable having all this chaos and frustration going on what we mean by that is actually that can be a very comfortable situation not that you don't have bad feelings but that you're comfortable with that pattern the word is it's- familiar Right. It's, it's familiar. familiar. Right. And, and familiar is comfortable. Is comfortable. Right. And when you change that, you become incredibly uncomfortable and also lacking confidence. And I think we need to dig in really deep into that to understand. Um, because when people, when family members start to make these changes, um, oftentimes, they don't understand how uncomfortable it's going to be and how they're going to waver in their confidence and how difficult it's going to be, if that makes sense. So maybe that's another podcast down the So road. I just want to say one last word about this is that okay. the goal of all of this is that everybody be uncomfortable. Okay. Awesome. I see that as the goal is that if you could start valuing discomfort, you have change. Good. I'd like to, I'm going to end the podcast because we are out of time. Can I just Uh, have one last? Oh, of course. Go ahead. One last word too. I also want to throw out that um, it's the emerging adults, as they're called, 18 to 25 year olds that are just becoming this other subgroup in the way public health looks at substance use disorders. And it is that group that are the parents of that we hear and and have listening uh, on our site and our our podcast very, very often. Those young adults um, have trauma, have learning disabilities, have already been engaging in substance use, which may be delaying maturation in other ways. And so as a parent of that age group, you're taking on someone who's potentially having difficulty maturing and coping with the world way into adulthood. And that makes you feel like a parent in spades. 
you right. still feel you need to protect you still need to fix you still need to point out you are dealing with somebody who feels developmentally younger than 25 and and That's you as a point. parent are supposed to alter how you uh, adjust to an uh, now an adult child um, and yet it's even more difficult when you've got all this going on in the backgrounds and that's what many families have here. Um, and, and that's not even talking about the socioeconomic and racist um, issues that are going on in communities that make it even more difficult or, or, or stigmatizing to, to, be a ch to be a family with a child like that. So who's emerging and not emerging, right? Who's, who's not launching the way the neighborhood is. So yeah, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's a hard thing to take on every level. And, and so our hearts go out to those listening and, and those that are experiencing the, the, the addiction of a loved one and it's affecting your well-being. And, and I hope our, our podcast helps a little bit um, in lifting you above and away from the crisis and the immediacy of all this so that you can focus a little bit more on, on your 30,000 foot goals. Awesome. That, I think that's a great point, Dominique. And I also think that's another whole podcast um, that we could talk about um, that particular issue. Well, this was a, a another great um, episode. And uh, so I can't wait until next week and we get involved again. Um, so thank you for being here, Kayla and Dominique. And um, I hope every, every one of our listeners got something out of that uh, discussion. I just want to end the podcast today with, I listened to um, Jeffrey Foote who is um, from the Center for Motivation for Change. And he, I listened to him speak one night and he said, and he said this about craft, what we're asking families to do is just sit with their pain for a little bit. If they can just sit with that pain, I'm just gonna end it there and just think about it. Just something to think about. But thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thanks next for week. listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Mikael Mouboussin for the original music composition.